In August, Manny and I celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary. And yeah, and our wedding day was easily the happiest, best day of my life, of course, next to the births of my children, but that was painful, so this was different. Um, I thought I was going to be stressed out and nervous about every single detail. Um, I thought, I, I, I was actually feeling stressed out about how stressed I thought I was going to be, right? I thought it was just gonna be this like, you know, overwhelming stress that day, um, that I would care about every single thing, that it went according to plan because I spent so much time planning, um, so much time. And uh, on that day, I was surprised that I didn't care about a single thing, like nothing, I didn't care. All I cared about was that I was marrying my best friend and it was the best, happiest, most special day of my life. But there was a lot that did not go according to plan. For one, the weather. Um, so we got married in August. Obviously, that's a bad idea if you're planning on having an outdoor wedding, right? Um, the weather actually in August that year had been great. We had like two weeks of 80 degree weather, which is, you know, very surprising in August. And then the weekend of our wedding, the forecast shot up and we, uh, at one point, it said that it was supposed to be 110 degrees on the day of our wedding. And our wedding was outside, right? So this was, um, of course, concerning. I think it was only about 103, 104. So, you know, if you look back at pictures, it looks like no one attended our wedding because everyone was hiding under trees, like on the sides, because uh, it was so hot and the sun was beating down. Uh, the second thing that went wrong, um, when we all got in line, ready for the procession to begin, a strong wind came out of nowhere and knocked everything off the tables. Everything that had been set up since the morning, when we had time to deal with the situation, um, everything that had been set up since the morning was now on the grass. Uh, so that was, of course, not ideal. The tablecloths, the centerpieces, everything. The third thing that went wrong, uh, the procession song, when we were, um, when the procession had started and, you know, my bridesmaids and groomsmen are going out, about halfway through, the music just cuts off and the rest of the group had to walk in silence. Can you imagine how awkward? Had to walk in silence because the device that was um, playing the music overheated <laughs> because it was so hot. And so, um, thankfully, when it was my dad and my turn to walk down, the music came back on, you know, the guy was like hiding the device under the table so that it could like cool down enough to keep playing music, but um, that, of course, was terribly awkward. Four, my flower girl had a meltdown when it was her time to walk down the aisle. And her mom, of course, was so frustrated because they practiced and they practiced and they practiced to make sure that it would all go smoothly, and she just did not want to go down. Um, her dad was one of the groomsmen, so he actually had to go around and then walk down with her, and she is like so serious, you know, like tears in her eyes, did not want to do it, but uh, she looked very cute anyway. Um, our display wedding cake. Yes, the list goes on. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep going. Um, the display wedding cake. <clears throat> so we had cupcakes for everyone. 
and we had this display wedding cake that we were going to cut into just for tradition's sake. And so we go to, uh, well, we, we approach the cake, and we notice that it's slanted, and we found out later that it was slanted because on the way to the wedding, the driver slammed on the brakes for something, and the cake just kind of like shifted. <laughs> and so it's very obvious in the pictures that it's not quite right, but at least it wasn't, you know, destroyed. Um, six. <laughs> The person who is in charge of bringing the apples, the, the Martinelli's, the, the sparkling cider, um, they forgot a bottle opener. And these bottles were not twist off, so we had a lot of Martinelli's left over. Um, there were some people in the, uh, in there who attended who happened to have some bottle openers. I don't know why, but they had some bottle openers, and so they were able to help out with that. Um, <laughs> Seven. This is the last one. This is the last one, but probably the worst. So um, we wanted our reception to feel very casual, very laid back, very fun. And so we wanted it to be kind of fair style. So we had um, a big, massive In-N-Out food truck. And we had a uh, pizza oven for those who wanted a vegetarian option. And then we had like roasted corn. We had aguas frescas. So we had like stations that people could go and get food. And um, my husband and I decided to go and get some roasted corn. And after I've gotten my corn, someone comes up to me and they say, there's hot sauce down the back of your dress and your veil. And so I look back, and sure enough, there's hot sauce Tapatio hot sauce down the back. You know, the roasted corn area, they have like all the little things that you can put on the corn. And so, um, and so, you know, my husband is surprised. I'm surprised. Um, thankfully, someone had like one of those tied to go pens, and so she's trying to get it out. Um, and it wasn't until months later that my husband admitted that he had poured the tapatio down the back of my dress. And the back of my veil. He didn't have the heart to tell me, and it took him a very long time to fess up. Uh, <laughs> but it's safe to say there were a lot of things that went wrong at my wedding or that didn't go according to plan. Today we're going to be looking at another story about a wedding where something went terribly wrong. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to open with me, you can turn to John chapter 2. Otherwise, I believe we'll have uh, the text on the screen for you as well. John chapter 2. John is the fourth book of the New Testament, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're trying to find it. And we're looking for big number two. And it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now the fact that Jesus and his disciples and his mother Mary were invited to the wedding suggests that they were likely um, there for the wedding of a relative, <clears throat> someone very close to them. Some have speculated that maybe Mary was a bridesmaid or, or a matron of honor. Um, if she was involved with the preparations for the wedding in any way, uh, for the wedding feast, then she probably would have taken personal responsibility to find more wine, which explains why she came to Jesus. Now, this is just a theory, of course. Um, but Jesus' response is very interesting, and he says in verse 4, Woman, why do you involve me? I've never called my mom woman. <laughs> I don't know if you have, but woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. There seems, 
there seems to be this timeline that only Jesus knows about. Uh, while the wedding at Cana is the first reference, he mentions this timeline throughout his ministry. In several places throughout John's gospel, action was not taken against Jesus because his hour had not yet come. It says that. Just before Jesus is arrested, it says in chapter 17, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. It is in this first sign, and I love that John calls these miracles signs because signs point to something, right? Signs point to a greater reality or truth. Signs reveal something, um, and these signs were intended to reveal the glory of Jesus. So this first sign here at the wedding in Cana, Jesus points us to the cross and when, when the hour of his glory would be realized. It is a foretaste of that ultimate sign on the cross. It's also worth mentioning that Jesus only refers to his mother as woman, and I know that we don't understand this in our culture, but he only refers to his mother as woman here at the wedding in Cana and in chapter 19, verse 26, when Mary is standing near the cross of Jesus. Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And Jesus said to her, woman, here is your son. And he asked his beloved disciple to take care of her. So it's interesting that he only refers to his mother as woman, at least recorded, um, in these two places. Back to John chapter 2, verse 4. Verses 4 and 5. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary seems to not be too concerned with Jesus' timeline, and he tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. As I was preparing this sermon this week, literally as I was working on this part and reflecting on this part of the passage, um, I looked at the time and I noticed that it was my daughter Aza's nap time. And I told her, okay, Aza, it's time to take a nap. Let's go get ready to go to sleep. And what do you think her response was? No! <laughs> Some of you have spent time with children, right? No! So I negotiated with my three-year-old, of course. We set a five-minute timer. I told her, okay, five more minutes to play, and then we're going to go take a nap. And when those five minutes were up, what do you think her response was? <laughs> no! <laughs> her time still had not yet come. We don't know why Mary overrides the timeline of God <clears throat> and Jesus complies. Was G Jesus simply being obedient? If so, maybe there's hope for us, Manny. Manny's my husband. Uh, were there maybe conversations at the dinner table happening between Mary and Jesus in the months and weeks leading up to this event? Was Jesus hesitant to start his earthly ministry and Mary knew that it was time and he just needed a little push? We don't have the answer given to us in this text, but what Jesus does next is amazing. In John chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, it says that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These are huge. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, 
So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What did verse 6 say that these jars were used for? For ceremonial washing, right? For cleansing rituals, Jewish ceremonial washing. And what happened after these jars were filled? What, tr- what, what happened to the water? It turned into wine. This is really a spectacular sign when we stop and we read it carefully. Six stone jars, each filled with water at a 20 to 30 gallon capacity. That means if they were filled to the brim, they would have, it would have provided 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That's more than anyone could, could possibly drink, right? They filled it to the brim to make sure that there was no funny business happening, and there was about 120 to 180 gallons of wine offered. They couldn't possibly drink that much, but perhaps such a spectacular sign was meant to point us to a greater reality. Maybe this spectacular sign was intended to make a statement that wouldn't be understood until much later. But, G- but, but says that only God can truly make us clean. A statement that says that a life with Jesus is so much better than anything we could ever find here on this earth. A statement that says there is more than enough grace to go around. There is no shortage of God's grace, unlike the wine first served at the wedding in Cana. God's love and mercy and grace never runs out. And did you know that John is the only gospel that doesn't include the Last Supper story? It makes no mention of it. We do have this first sign that has to do with wine at the wedding in Cana, Um, which points us to the cross. And Jesus does say in chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is Last Supper language, right? You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. But without the Last Supper story to give us context, the wedding sounds like a cool miracle about wine. And chapter 6 makes Jesus sound like he wants us all to be cannibals. There were a lot of people who stopped following Jesus after he said these things because they had a hard time um, understanding what it was that he was trying to say. It is the story of the Last Supper that really gives these lessons context. The Last Supper can be found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there we learn what it means to symbolically eat the body of Christ and to drink his blood. At Jesus' Last Supper, 
with his disciples, he took bread, and he passed it around to his disciples, saying that it symbolized his body that would be broken. Then the wine, Matthew 26, verses 27 through 29, tell us, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For few? For many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After each of the emblems were introduced into Christian tradition, he commanded his disciples throughout the ages to eat and drink in remembrance of him. We do not believe that this is the real body um, or the real blood of Christ, but by participating in this meal, we remember what Jesus did, and we look forward to what he will do. By participating in this meal, we accept the gift of grace that washes us clean. His love, mercy, and grace never runs out, and there is more than enough for everyone. Amen. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to um, participate in communion service and to remember your incredible sacrifice for us, your great demonstration of your love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would um, carry this service with us in our hearts as we go about the rest of our week, that we would um, remember um, every day how much you love us and that we might show that love to those we come in contact with as we leave this place. We love you so much and we pray your blessing and protection over us and we thank you for this rain. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.